everyone has that moment that changed everything for them. It was that one decision, that road that was taken that altered the course of your life forever. Like I can remember a moment that changed everything for me. You know, I think everyone in one way or another can remember distinctly the first time that they met the love of their life. You know, I, I can remember that moment like it was yesterday. Yeah, I think it was something like, it was like late fall. I wasn't even planning on, you know, the introduction happening. In fact, I was caught a little bit off guard. And, you know, I remember being nervous at the time. My heart was beating fast. And I found myself sweating. And, you know, because first impressions are a hard thing to make. And like, once you make them, you can't take them back. And so you want to make sure the first impression lasts. And then so finally, the moment came when I was introduced for the very first time to Star Wars. Wait, what did you think I was talking about? Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? That changed everything, guys. Come on. Okay, maybe it wasn't the love of my life. Top five, definitely, but maybe not the love of my life. Well, hey, I just want to welcome you here today. We are today celebrating the moment that changed absolutely everything, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing changed the world more or pervaded culture more uh, intensely than the empty tomb. We still feel it 2,000 years later. And so I just want to welcome everyone here who is celebrating Easter Sunday with us, whether you're in the room, you're at our Newton campus, or you're watching online at church at home. Uh, We are glad that you are worshiping with us today. And so we're excited to celebrate the, literally the most important day in human history, the day when death died and the tomb was emptied. Now, today I want to share with you a story about a couple of people who missed the moment that changed everything, because that's often the way that it is in life, isn't it? You're not always there for the moment that changed everything. Oftentimes you hear about the moment that changed everything after it changed everything, because for most of us, you know, we get the call, or we're told about it after the fact, or we hear about it on TV. See, unlike the apostles, all of us didn't get to run to the empty tomb or, you know, have a conversation with angels. In many ways, this has been the experience of the church universal for 2,000 years now. We didn't see it. We weren't there but our lives have still been affected by it. And so we're going to be looking, about, looking at a story about two people who didn't get to see the empty tomb. In fact, they didn't even hear about it until later. Instead, they found out about it in probably one of the most extraordinary, probably supernatural ways possible. So we're going to be checking out Luke uh, 24, starting in verse 13. It says this, now that same day, so this is the day that the Lord rose, he rose that morning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, that's a really interesting part of the story, and I just, I want to, I want to camp on that for a moment. You know, they're, they're talking about Jesus' death, and then suddenly just Jesus shows up on the road. He approaches them, but it says that they were kept from recognizing him. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that they couldn't, they didn't recognize him? Like, do we look different after the resurrection? Like, am I going to be taller 
after the resurrection? Like, is Van going to have hair after the resurrection? Am I going to be good at sports after the resurrection? Because, like, if so, the good news just got gooder. Like, you didn't think it could, but it does. Now, the truth is, we don't know why. We don't know why they didn't recognize Jesus. It's funny in some ways because it reminds me a little bit of the, like, the Clark Kent Superman phenomena. You, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like I, ha- like, I have always, as a kid and still as an adult, love everything to do with Superman. Just thoroughly obsessed with all things Superman. But even as a kid and even into adulthood, I always had a bit of a beef with the whole Clark Kent Superman phenomena, how he could like put on a tie, put on classes, and somehow nobody recognizes who he is. You know, so it's like I get up on a Sunday morning and I'm like, hey everybody, you know, I'm Tyler Sturkey, lead pastor. And then it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to Tyler? I don't know where he went. And it's like, oh Tyler, you're back. Okay, oh man, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Like, doesn't make any sense. Like, how would that work? It bothered me a lot until recently. See, Psychologists have actually talked, surprisingly enough, because they don't have anything better, you know, any other problems to solve in the world. They've actually talked quite a bit about the Superman Clark Kent phenomena. There have actually been university studies on the nature of it. And one of the primary results that they have that come out of this is they attribute people's inability to recognize Clark Kent as Superman very much to do with perception or an expectation. See, the point that they make with this study is that your expectation defines your perception. We as humans only tend to see what we want to see. So with the Superman thing, no one is expecting a guy who can literally fly around the world, like in minutes, to ride the subway. No one expects someone who can bend steel with his bare hands and can, you know, look through, literally look through walls to work as a journalist at a local newspaper. No one expects it, so when they do, no one sees it. And see, that's just kind of the nature of our lives. In fact, a few years ago, there was several Superman movies that had come out, and uh, to test the whole Superman Clark Kent phenomena, the British actor who played Superman, his name's Henry Cavill, actually wanted to test this theory, and so what they did was they sent him into Times Square, like downtown New York City, thousands of people crossing through there constantly. They sent him into downtown New York City where he's walking around down there, literally next to a billboard, 100-foot tall billboard of him as Superman. He even had a Superman shirt on, no glasses, for hours, and nobody recognized him the entire time he was there. In fact, there's a YouTube video. You can look it up on YouTube of him walking around and... There's even two or three people who walk up at certain points and he's thinking, okay, here it comes. And they're like, excuse me, can you tell me where the subway is? Like they're asking for directions. They literally have no idea who he is. And so they said, maybe the whole Clark Kent Superman thing, maybe it's not so crazy after all. So it's possible that's what's happening here. They weren't expecting to see Jesus on the road. Because they literally just saw their master and rabbi beaten within an inch of his life and then crucified and buried two or three days before. So yeah, is he going to be doing a 10K outside of Jerusalem to Emmaus? Probably not. Wouldn't expect it. So they're not expecting to see him. And and there's a lesson in this, I think. How do we sometimes hinder our perception of what God is doing in our lives? 
simply because we assume and expect that he's not working in our lives. How many of us have missed literally miracles in our midst simply because we weren't expecting them? Because your expectation defines your perception. In many ways, and many parents will get this, it's almost like when your kids are looking for their shoes in the morning, like getting ready for school. Of course, they have like an hour or more to get ready, but when do they actually look for their shoes? Like 30 seconds before you absolutely have to leave. And then they're like, why, are, why don't you have your shoes on? And they're like, I can't find them. Like, did you look for them? Yes. Where did you look? How do they answer? Everywhere. And you're like, I want to say, I never do, I, I want to say, show me how you looked for everywhere. And it'd be like, that's how they look for everywhere. I'm like, you know, you might have to, I don't know, move things, look under things, go into a room other than this one within, even though the shoe's like five feet away from you underneath that mountain of toys. If like, if you'd move it, you'd see it. But see, sometimes we see God like children look for their shoes for school. And so it begs the question, by how we're looking, do we really want to find him? By how we're looking for God, do we really want to find what we're looking for? So back to the story, verse uh, uh, 17. So he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And now the thing I love about this story is like Jesus literally, he's like playing dumb in this story. Because like he walks up and he's like, I mean, he knows, he knows, he knows every man and woman's heart. And so he walks up and he's like, well, what are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Huh? What's going on? What are you talking about? And so they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these last days? So like, he's even like throwing a little shade at Jesus. because He's like, seriously, like, you don't know what's happened. Like, you don't know all the things that have been going on. And then Jesus still playing dumb. He's like, what things? Tell me about it. What's going on? And he said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And then here it is. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, Jesus is asking them why they're so dejected, and they literally download all of their expectations onto him. And, I, and as I'm like, as it gets to this discussion, I begin to understand why Jesus didn't reveal himself to them immediately. Because there's that dynamic, like when the teacher's in the room or especially in a church context, like when the Sunday school teacher is in the room, you're like wanting to give the right spiritual answer. Like some of you have probably heard the like old cliche story about a little boy in Sunday school class where, you know, the teacher asks the question, you know, what's, what's small, furry, and brown with a big bushy tail and chases nuts? And a little boy raises his hand. He's like, well, I want to say a squirrel, but I'm going to guess Jesus. 
Because that's the way, I mean, we think like, I want to give the right answer. There's a spiritual answer and I want to give it. And so I wonder if Jesus showed up, you know, showing himself for who he really was. And, you know, they began to talk about those things. They would have been like, oh yeah, Jesus, we, you know, you predicted it two or three times. Like we saw your death and resurrection come a mile off. Like, oh yeah, we totally knew that was going to be okay. But no, like by not revealing who he is, he gets to see beyond the facade. He gets to see the true self of like what's really there, what's really in their hearts. And so he gets to see all of the sadness, all of the frustration, everything, because that's what Jesus, surprise, surprise, genuinely wants from us. He doesn't want the facade. He wants the true self. So their conversation continues on verse 25. So he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses. And I love it. It says all the prophets. So this isn't like, Hey, I'm going to proof text here and there. Like he's literally going through the entire gamut of the old Testament. And he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, wouldn't you have wanted to be a fly on the wall in that conversation? to hear Jesus himself explained, you know, because we always, we always joke about this. Darren has said this before where, uh, you know, we say that, you know, what is the New Testament about? It's about Jesus. What is the Old Testament about? Also about Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. All of the Old Testament was pointing to, toward Jesus all along. And so in this story, Jesus, as he's walking along with them, he literally unpacks how he was always meant to be the Messiah and Savior of the world. But here's the most important part of the story that I really want to hone in. Verse 28. It says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. So the, the, the playing dumb and pretending is still a little bit there because he's just kind of like, all right, guys, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on going where I was going, hoping that they would do exactly what they do because it says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, now notice this. I want you to notice this language. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. What does that sound like? The Last Supper. Literally just a few days before. I mean, it's almost the exact same type of language that was used in describing the Last Supper in the upper room. And it said, and they, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, following the ancient Near Eastern tradition of hospitality, you know, as it reaches evening, it would be considered a unrighteous, even borderline sinful thing to not invite a stranger into your home. If you see them going along and the day is about over, you are obligated in that culture, you are obligated to offer hospitality. So they're like, please come stay with us. They invite him for dinner. And then it's when Jesus breaks the bread that their eyes are finally open, which I was talking with someone. I had an interesting conversation. I never really saw the parallel here um, that, you know, there are some scholars who think that the two disciples here, because it doesn't really tell much about them, that there's some scholars who think because of the way some of the language is that it was actually a husband and wife 
that it wasn't, a lot of times we tell the story, we say it's two men, but there are some scholars who think it was a husband and wife because of some of the familiarity between them and the fact that they're asking Jesus into their home, it was likely a husband and wife. But there's also an Adam and Eve parallel there. Because remember in the story of the garden, they ate of the apple and their eyes were opened in a way that was sinful and broken. But in this story, it's the opposite. Jesus breaks the bread, they eat of it, and their eyes are opened to see him for who he really is. It's almost a reversing of what happened with Adam and Eve. And so before they realize it, like before they even realize it, like they, you know, they recognize who he is, and then instantly, faster than a speeding bullet, Jesus disappears instantly. And I love what the disciples say. They say, were not our hearts burning within us whenever he talked to us on the road? See, this was it. This was the moment for them that changed everything. See, the others had told them that the tomb was empty. No effect. The women had said they spoke to angels. Nada. But this man walks, for, walks with them for hours, has dinner with them, and it utterly and completely sets their hearts on fire. Who knew that something as simple as bread and conversation could so utterly change a life? Jesus did. And this is why he rolled out his ministry the way that he did, because he could have gone public years before and declared to everybody that he was the Messiah. And we're going to start the revolution. We're going to get the kingdom going. We're going to get the momentum moving. But of course, if he did it like that, it would have got the momentum moving in the wrong direction. Men would have been lining up to be conscripted for an army to put on armor to take swords, to take their kingdom back. But that's not what Jesus wanted. That wouldn't bring real change. All that would do was it would, it would exchange worldly power from one set of hands to another set of corruptible hands. See, Jesus didn't want to set buildings on fire. He wanted to set hearts on fire. He didn't want to change government. He wanted to change your life. And so the cross had to happen. See, the cross had to happen so that the tomb could be emptied. And the tomb had to be emptied so that your heart could be filled. That's the good news of this day. That is the moment that absolutely changed the world forever. The tomb was emptied so that your heart could be filled. See, Jesus wants to set your heart on fire. He wants to utterly transform your life. He wants to forgive you of your sins, but he doesn't just want to forgive you of your sins. He wants to free you from your sins. He wants you to walk in freedom and walk in holiness and walk in righteousness. He wants you to be utterly transformed to be like him because Jesus was the second Adam. He was the perfect human. He was what we were all supposed to be, but we couldn't because of our sin. That's why we have to be conformed to the image of Jesus. See, it had to happen that way to show every single person in the world that only Jesus can change a life. And so then we see the story end and wrap up in verse 33. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them. And there's almost just like excited story time telling because they assemble together and they're saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two... uh, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So they're saying, we saw him too. Like he's just showed up on the road and we walked with him for hours and he unpacked all of the scriptures to us. And now we get it. 
finally and fully, we get who he is. And see, you have to wonder, dinner time was probably never the same for them again, right? Anytime they would break the bread, anytime they would sit down to a meal, anytime they would pray and give thanks for a meal, you got to imagine things were different, that a little bit more of that fire would be lit because they remembered that moment when the bread was broken and their eyes were opened and everything changed. See, Jesus revealed himself to them in the breaking of bread who knew that conversation and meal could change someone's life so completely forever. So what about you? Have you had that moment that changed everything for you? Now, there are some of you, maybe you did. You had that moment a long time ago. You had it a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, or maybe you're sitting here 50 years ago was the moment that changed everything that I realized who Jesus was and I surrendered everything to him. I was just telling my wife recently that uh, back in February, marked 20 years of, of me following Jesus because it was in February of 2001 that I fully and completely surrendered my heart to Jesus. I had kind of done the religious church game for a while. Didn't grow up in the church, but because of friends inviting me, I was kind of semi-involved. And I learned very quickly, as many of us do if you're in church long enough, you learn the game. You learn the church answers. You learn the facade. You learn how to put on the mask. And no matter how you're feeling or how you're doing, you can put on a mask. Oh, I'm great. I'm having a great day. Yeah, no, I'm fine. When you're not, you learn how to do that. And so I played the game and I played it really well. I was living for myself. I was drinking and partying and living for the approval of my friends throughout the week. And then I'd show up on Sunday morning and praise God. Yes and amen. Praise the Lord. And I remember that one night in February of 2001, 17 years old, God spoke to me. And it wasn't this like audible, booming voice that shook the heavens. And it's hard to explain to people unless you've experienced it yourself. But there was this deep knowing in the sense of my being that it was the voice of Almighty God, my creator, the one who made me and knows me deeper than anyone. And he told me, you are wasting your life. I have so much more for you than this. And I remember I was at a crossroads. I, I knew I was faced with a choice. I could continue down the religious game and live a pretty good life and then I'd be a pretty good person that goes to hell. Or I could completely and totally and irrevocably surrender my life to Christ and give everything to him. And I knew everything would change. Nothing could be the same. Everything had to, everything had to go. It was like a spiritual clearance sale in my soul. Everything had to go. And so I said, yes. And I just remember breaking down and just like weeping uncontrollably. If you've ever had the gift of tears when you weep over your sins, if you've never cried over your sins. And, and this isn't like the like pretty girl cry where like a single tear comes down and you're like, oh, let me brush it away. Like, no, it's like the ugly cry. You know, I'm talking about the ugly cry where you just, your face is contorted and you have snot rockets hanging down. Like, you know, it's a good cry when you got danglers, you know, going. And so, and that's the way it was. And I just knew this is it. It's everything. It's all or nothing. And it's going to be all. And so I gave him my all. And so 20 years later, I've stumbled, I've strived, I've made mistakes. But 20 years later, I'm still on the pilgrim's path. 
still following Jesus. And I can tell you 20 years later, it's worth it. Every single moment, it's worth it. Because he changed me. He changed me and he can change you too. If he hasn't already, he can change you. If you don't feel like you have joy or peace or a purpose, give it all to Jesus. Imagine what your life would be like if you surrendered it all to him today. And you can begin that journey that started for some at an empty tomb, for some in an upper room and others on a road to Emmaus. But for some of us, maybe even here in this room today, it starts for you on April 3rd, 2021. That is the day that changes everything for you because you finally completely and totally surrender everything to Christ. You can do that today. So we're going to have a time of song and reflection. We're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion together. If you haven't grabbed the elements, we have tables in the back. And during the song, you can go back and grab them if you need them. But I want you to take this time to reflect. Have I had that moment that changed everything? And if you have, then take some time to examine your heart around that and thank God for that. Remember the cross as the scriptures say we proclaim the death of Christ until he returns. And so exult in that, that day that changed everything and how it's changed your life. But if you haven't had that day, if you've never made that decision, you can do it right now while, while we're singing this song. You can invite Christ into your heart. You can ask him, Jesus, be the forgiver of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I turn, my, I turn away from my old way of living and I want to follow you now. I, I want to model my life after your life and I will follow you all of my days. And if you pray that prayer, he will change you. I promise you that. So wherever you are on that spectrum, you are invited to come to the table to meet Christ in the most life-changing way possible. Hold on to the elements. We're going to begin to sing the song. I'll come back up and I'll lead us through the elements of communion. Let's proclaim the mystery of Christ together. That Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Go ahead and grab the communion elements. See, on the night that Jesus died, he took bread he broke it and he says this is my body broken for you take and eat and then later that evening he took the cup and he says this cup is my blood poured out for you for the new covenant take and drink The Apostle Paul says that every time we eat, take, eat of the bread and drink of the cup that we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So let's celebrate together and proclaim that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. <laughs>